You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. I hope this Thanksgiving weekend that not only was it a blessing for you on Thanksgiving Day, but I hope you were able to ponder some of those wonderful deeds that God has done for us. The biggest message in the world still to this day has been for 2,000 years that God has sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, and that's what we're all about here at River. Hey, I hope uh, you had lots of turkey and uh, lots of fun time with family, and I especially hope you've got your snow shuffles and uh, snowblowers ready, because it's coming, right? So, uh, But uh, it's good to see you guys this morning, and uh, this morning, I have to tell you, I'm This is not the kind of uh, passage that I honestly would normally want to preach on Thanksgiving morning. So this is probably, yeah, it's not probably, it's absolutely the worst story that I know of in the entire Bible. Uh, Hands down, the most shocking, the most disturbing, the most awful story that I can think of. And it was being very serious with you uh, heading into Thanksgiving, I'm like, this is just bad. This is awful. I am not enjoying studying and pondering and meditating on this. And so, uh, but I believe God has some things for us this morning. It, I go to, to see a dermatologist about twice a year. So I have a standing appointment because I'm one of those skin cancer, you know, potential candidates. And uh, once usually a year, he wants me to take, take everything off. And this is, this is worse than when you go to, you know, you're in the hospital. You know, those little hospital gowns, little things that you can't figure out how you stick your arms into and wrap around, that kind of thing. This is worse than that, all right? I, these are, this is paper, and there is no back on this thing whatsoever. At least a hospital gown, you have a back, and it's shorter than that. And this is a small little room, so the doctor comes in, and then the nurse is in there, and, and he, he must be a teaching doctor, because there's often like another person learning. So I'm like, yeah, let's just bring everybody in. And, you know, I'm like, and, and it's, a, it's like a, you know, it's a doctor's office, like a clinic. And they, they tend to open the door just like not thinking. And like, it's, I'm sitting right there on the table. I'm like, hey, everybody, you know, this is... There's one word to describe that, and it is uncomfortable. I mean, just that's the only thing I can say is I'm just really, really uncomfortable. When we read this passage in a minute, and this story that we're going to see this morning, it is by design meant to make you and me uncomfortable. It is, it is meant to motivate us. It's meant to challenge us. It is meant to shake us and jolt us. It's meant to make us uncomfortable but it's also meant to, to shock us. It's, it's almost like, uh, you know how headlines today, whether it's in the news or social media, headlines will kind of inflate things and make it bigger and try to make you click on it because they can get their counts, you know, clickbait. This story, I, I believe, was like one of the f- first viral stories that, that God said, hey, you guys need to read this and pay attention. God wants us this morning to, to wrestle with the realities of our depravity, of who we are as, as people. And so this is a little bit of a, uh, a warning, if you will. This is, uh, kids, don't do this at home. You know, don't try this at home. Uh, this is a pretty heavy story. So read with me, if you would. Um, actually, let me catch you up to the story first before we read it. So here's the, here's the story. Here's the backstory. We won't have time to read all three chapters of this. So there is this guy who is a Levite. And a Levite to the Jewish world would have been a, a priest or what we like today, like a pastor or a priest. And he has a concubine. A concubine, we don't, we don't really have that kind of person today. It's somewhere between a mistress, a wife, and a slave. So this guy was married, most likely, had another wife, and he had another woman in his life, in his, in his life that he was not quite married to, but yet uh, was living with and, and living as if she was married. And somehow she got mad at him or got upset, and she ran home to live with her parents. So four months goes by, and he goes back to her parents' house, and he takes a, a gift with him, and his plan is to talk kindly to her and to kind of smooth over things and to bring her back home. Well, Dad has him there, and he persuades him to stay for two or three days, kind of this hospitality feast things. We, weddings took a whole week. They weren't like an hour long. I mean, it's just it was a different world, different pace of life. But nonetheless, after three days, the guy's like, oh, listen, I got to take my wife or my concubine, or your daughter. I'm going to go back home. And, and the dad persuades him, no, just stay one more day. Just come have dinner with us. Let's enjoy. And 
I don't know what all they did, but then finally he stayed a fourth day, and he's like, I got to go. And then he's like, no, just stay another day. So he stayed a fifth day. And later on toward that day, he finally said, I have got to go and leave, which ends up being a fatal uh, mistake for his, uh, his woman. So he and, and his, this woman, his concubine, and apparently another servant head out, and they start making their way back, uh, back home. And they come, and it's getting late in the day. And keep in mind, this was a time when there were, uh, you know, bandits on the road. You didn't travel at night. You just you made sure you were off the road, and you know that you were staying at somebody's home or some place you knew or some city, and you weren't just naturally traveling. And so it was getting late in the day, and uh, his her, his servant said, "Hey, here's a good spot. Why don't we stay here?" And that's where I catch up the passage here in, in Judges chapter 19. In verse 11, it says, when they were near Jebus, which is what we know today as Jerusalem, the day was nearly over, and the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. The Jebusites were not Jews, they were Gentiles, they were the people that God said to remove from the land, but they didn't. Now here's what this Jewish Levite, this Jewish pastor priest, which is a reminder of how bad things have become morally in Israel, he said, uh, he said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. He said, Look, we're not going to stay here with these foreigners. We can't trust them. Their hospitality is horrible. They aren't God's people. We're going to move on to some better people. We're going we're to pass on and move, move forward. Fast forward to the story, and in verse 18, uh, and as they move on, they, they come to a city of Gibeah. Sun had gone down, and they're there in the courtyard waiting for somebody to show hospitality. They didn't have Motel 6. They didn't leave the light on for them. There was not a Denny's. You could just kind of show up and get, you know, bacon and eggs at any time of night. So they were sitting there in the courtyard, and the custom was, was that the first person that would that had room in their home and the ability to take a, a, a stranger in or take a traveler in, that was your job. That was your responsibility. And it was a customary. It was a normal kind of thing. Not like today where you bolt the doors and lock the doors and check ID and run background checks before you even hardly shake somebody's hands. It was very normal. So this man and, and, and his woman and, uh, and this servant, there they are just kind of waiting in the courtyard, and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And people are passing by, they're coming and going, but nobody is offering them any hospitality, which to us may seem kind of normal. We walk by people on the sidewalk all the time, sitting down, and we don't think anything of it. But in their culture, in their time, in their day, that was a, a horrible thing to do. And it really tells us that they were a, a city that had real spiritual major issues. So while they're sitting there and waiting, this older man comes out of the fields, and he sees them in the courtyard, kind of like, oh my goodness, what are you guys doing? And he asks, where are you coming from and where are you going? And that's where we catch the story up in verse 18. It says this. Here's what the man says to him. He says, we are passing from Bethlehem and Judea to the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim from which I come. I went to Bethlehem and Judah, and I'm going to the house of the Lord. But no one has taken me into his house. So this Levite claims to be follower of God, to be one who is honorable and trustworthy and all of that. And he tells this, this man, he says, hey, we're here, but nobody's taking us in. And he's a little surprised. So this man presses in on him and says, look, you can't stay in this courtyard tonight. Come stay at my house. Come stay. I'll take care of you. I'll feed your donkey. I'll, I'll give you food. I'll, I've got a stall and straw for, for your, your animals. Everything you're, will be okay. Well, we'll see that everything's not okay. Read with me in verse, 19, in verse 22. And as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, the men, not some of the men, not a few of the men, not a couple of the men, the men of the city, worthless fellows, scoundrels, awful men is what we would think today, surrounded the house. That's a lot, right? Not just a couple at the door. And they were 
beating on the door, pounding on the door. And they said to the old man, the master of the house, bring out that man who came into your house that we may know him. And the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. These men, all from the city, had seen him in the square. And rather than offering hospitality, they watched where he went to stay that evening, and they surrounded the home, demanding and beating on the home that they might, might rape him, gang, gang rape that we might know him just as a, a, a sexually, physically, uh, if you will, demanding that. And this man that brought him in was responsible as a host to take care of them. And he's like, what are you guys doing? Don't do this awful, vile thing. The story gets worse. This is, this is worse than anything you're going to read in the news this weekend, I assure you. And he says in verse 24, here's the man in, the, in that home. He says, behold, here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out now. Violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. But the, but the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine, this is the Levite, grabs her, and he made her go out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where the, her master was until it was light. And her master rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house and with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, Get up, let us be going. But there was no answer. Then he put her on the donkey, and the man rose up and went away to his home. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, which gets worse, and taking hold of his concubine, he divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces, and he sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And all who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak." Shocking, shocking story. Uh, I dare say way more shocking than anything you'll read in the news this year or have ever read in your entire life. Real event, real people that happen. What's awful to me in this story is there are absolutely no heroes in this story. None. As I read this and I, you know, contemplate on it, I, I want the owner of the home to say, what are you doing? You can't do this. Get out of here. Instead, he offers his own daughter and offers the woman as if that somehow is better than you know, violating the man himself. There are just no heroes, no glimpse of goodness, no ray of light, no ray of sunshine, nothing but absolute decay, corruption, awful, black darkness of the human soul at the worst level. I want us to this morning to, to recognize three or four things that God has in his uh, wisdom and his sovereignty has recorded this story that we would have all been oblivious to had it not been in the book of Judges. It really happened. And God, to this day, wants us to know it happened. And he wants to get a reaction from us, not a, a shock reaction, but he wants it to impact us. He doesn't want it to just go to waste, if you will. He wants to move us and to motivate us. The first thing I want you and me to recognize this morning as we read this awful story is that what we're watching is humanity in its natural habitat. We're watching people in their natural environment. 
I, I love the outdoors. I love watching animals and birds. I'm that guy driving down the highway, not just watching the road, but I will notice the hawks in the trees and notice, I'll even notice what roadkill that is. I'm pretty good at spotting roadkill of quite a ways out and can tell you what it is. We were out, uh, I canoed to an island on Saturday to do a little bit of hunting and um, and when we were walking along the shore, I noticed this little area in the bank, a little depression. I thought, huh, that looks awful lot like a, like a slide, like an animal or an otter or something had been going down there. And sure enough, when we came back along the bank, there was a mink that was running right along the shore. So it had been going up and from the shore and down to the water. And I just, I love seeing animals in their habitat doing what animals do. What God is showing us here, guys, is at our core, who we are as people in our natural habitat. This is us in our natural state. It's us in our natural environment, left to our own devices, left to who we are by nature as a culture, as a society, as a people across the world. This really is us. This is who we are. This is who we are by nature. You see, he's showing us the generational decline of what happens when God is not in a person's life and then what happens when going from, from father and mother to son and daughter, and then from son and daughter to grandson and granddaughter, and generational societal decline, if you will, of people that have turned their back upon the God of heaven. And he's showing what is naturally inside of us, were it not for the grace of God to do something to pull us out of all of that muck and out of that mire. And it's absolutely shocking to us. We don't like to read it. It's horrible. It's disgusting and it's incredible it just just breathtaking absolutely breathtakingly incredible what we read but God wants us to realize who we are remember we talked last week that he's kind of holding the mirror up in front of us just like when I went to the dentist like see that spot right there you need to get that worked on uh, you need to take a peek at that God is showing us in the book of Judges guys this is who you are in your natural state we're you really are. We have two choices. We can either look judgmentally at what we read here, like, oh, I can't believe those people, they did that, and I would never do that. Or we can look and we can say, wow, I've got some of those same tendencies. Were it not for the grace of God, I struggle in some of those same areas in my life. You can go one of two ways. You can act as if you're above it, but what God is showing us is if we walk through the book of Judges as it spirals downward and downward and downward and we're now at the bottom of the barrel as, as awful as it get, gets, God is confronting us, showing us who we are in our natural habitat, our natural state of affairs, if you will. Second thing I want us to recognize this morning is that God is showing us who we are apart from Jesus Christ. He's showing us what life is really all about apart from Jesus. It's, it's, it's the way our lives would end up. He's showing us three or four things that I want to point out specifically. He's showing us that you and I are broken sexually apart from Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, is guys, this is sexually, you are deviant. You are uh, broken that when sin entered into this world, that it, it separated us from a holy God. It earned us judgment from God in heaven for our sins and all the things that we've done wrong. But it damaged us to, to, to think that there are these men that just, it would be okay for them to surround this house and to gang rape a man and then to actually follow through with the woman is unbelievable. And to not feel remorse in that moment, to not say, wait a minute, this is wrong. This is awful. What God is telling us is that in our core, because we've sinned against a holy God, that even though we are made in the image of God, and part of being in that image of God is He made us male and female, that that part and the, the, our sexuality in the process of that is deeply broken. And apart from a redemptive hand of God intervening into our life, saving us from, from sin and sin's consequences and death, and apart from God coming and bringing healing into that arena, this is where things will spiral down to. 
Those, kind, those addictions in that area of our life always go from bad to worse to worse to worse and spiral. These men had gotten to the point where they were looking for the, the new guy in town, the new thing or whatever. And it just, they spiraled completely out of control morally. And their, their life completely broken. You see, all of us, I don't care whether you may struggle with pornography or lust or affairs or any, anything, God's, what God tells us is, guys, I made you male and female, and he presented Eve to Adam as husband and wife, and he says, anything outside of that is not my plan for your life. And the brokenness that we all of us experience, he wants us to read in our story that, okay, maybe we haven't done this, but he wants us to look into the mirror to see that we are broken in that exact same area of our life. He wants to send a chill down our own spine to say, God, I'm not above sins in this area as well. He wants to confront us with that reality. He also wants to confront us with our, um, with our lack of respect and lack of care of other people. Not only are we broken sexually, but we're we're broken in our relationships where we don't care for and respect other people as we should. The complete disregard, I just, I'm, I'm just staggering as I try to, as I think through that story that how would those two men in that house not give their life to protect the, the women, the daughter and his, his wife? How would they not go down fighting? How could they say, oh, to save my skin, I'm going to you know, throw you out to the wolves. How could they treat them as less than the, the deserving people and individuals that they were as, as women? You see, today, we know it as sexism. We know it as racism. We know it as slavery. But it's all of this exact same thing that goes back to this time. God is showing us that our disrespect our lack of respect, our lack of seeing people the way God sees them as a person made in the image of God, regardless of their IQ, regardless of their intellect, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their national uh, or, origin, regardless of whether a person is a man or a woman, all of the, 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 the atrocities that we see that runs through our, us culturally, and the, uh, the abuse we see firsthand in this story that God is telling us at our natural world, a life apart from Jesus Christ, a life apart from God's authority in our lives and, and His sustaining grace in our life, this is where we become. This is where we go. These are the things that we will absolutely, every single one of us wrestle with. Those two big issues, the, the sexual brokenness and the, the, the disrespect, the, the lack of care, the lack of seeing people the way God sees them, treating them as something less than us, treating them as property if we're talking about slavery. All of that comes in a culture, in a society, in a family, and in a human heart that doesn't have a relationship from Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, racism is alive and well in our country. I have a friend who's, um, who's a pastor. He's African-American, he's black, and uh, he was going to a store like Walmart. I won't mention the name to not uh, disparage any company, per se. But as, as he was walking into the store with his son, the, the person that was greeting them at the store um, informed him that they were not taking food stamps or any kind of, you know, special services that day. And his son kind of looked at him like, what? And he looked at his dad like, why did, why did she say that? And he said, son, she said it because we're black. Thinking that everybody who's African-American must just be on public assistance and can't afford to pay their bills and, and uh, racism. Seeing them differently, because of who, the color that they were when they walked in the door. 
So on one hand, that, to that degree, to the other, I have another friend who liked to go fishing with his son and under a bridge uh, would, would fish at this spot pretty regularly, and this is in Saratoga County, and uh, one day went down there and saw a noose thrown over the bridge, railing, hanging with the N-word painted on the steel girders there. Awful. Whether it was meant to be, in, the, in their minds, funny and innocent, or genuine all the way as a death threat, is irrelevant. It was absolutely horrible. And that father can now no longer take his son fishing and had to work through all of the issues at that surfaced. You see, the stuff that we run into, whether it's you know, just uh, sexism or abuse of, of, of women, treating them less than who they are, whether it's racism, whether it's modern day slavery, which is all around us and even in the capital region, we're seeing the core of that. We're seeing us in our natural habitat as we are as people apart from Jesus Christ. That's what God is trying to show us, is if we've been walking through the book of Judges, when the people turn their back on God, this is who they became. This is who you and I are apart from Jesus in our life. You know, this Thanksgiving, if you know Jesus Christ is Lord of your life and you aren't living in this level of, of destruction and decay in your life, you at least ought to be thankful that God saved you and brought you out of that. But even as you live above that, you need to realize that there's still areas in each of those areas of your life that you need to grow in. That brokenness is far-reaching that God continue wants to sanctify us and change us and grow us and make us, pull us more and more. He saves us and forgives us day one of that instantly. But he wants to change us and pull us out of that. He's holding the mirror up in front of our face. Just the atrocities that are in front of us. And then on top of that, of those issues, those two issues, the, the, the sexism, the racism, and the, all, of the, all of that, and the, uh, the sexual brokenness, at the core underneath that, if we're peeling the layer of the onion back, kind of digging down deeper, it comes out of one major motive, selfishness. You know what we really see clearly in this story? It's the selfishness of everybody. The men coming out at night thinking that they were entitled, deserved for their own fun, their own pleasure, their own whatever. The men looking out for themselves, throwing these ladies out there. The story, the atrocity that I get of this, this pastor, priest, who walks up in the morning and sees his sees this woman lying there. I mean, the fact that he was, let alone that he threw her out there, but he didn't even bother go out to try to find her until he was leaving. And it just says, get up, we're going. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The self-centered lack of thinking about other people in life. That's ultimately where broken sexuality goes. It's all about us and our individual needs and what we want and our identities. And, and it's not about not only the God of heaven, but it's about how all of that is impactful to the people around us. See, selfishness is so blinding to you and me. It blinds us in two areas, two ways, if you will. It blinds us to how selfish we really are. We don't, we individually just see the tip of the iceberg with our selfishness. Other people see it much easier, much quicker, much deeper. They see it. But selfishness by nature is blinding. You, you don't see it. It's, you, you just, you don't, you don't see it. Just, I'm, again, I'm floored that they didn't say, wait a minute, what are we doing? I mean, this man would have seen this woman. She would have been beaten and bruised, looked awful, not clothed. And the, all that he can think about is, I got to get home. <laughs> I mean, to not be aware 
when you and I, we are selfish, each one of us, more than we know. And it blinds us because it makes the whole world about us. And we miss all the realities and everything that's going on around us. And the second thing that we miss is we don't realize that how damaging, destructive our selfishness is. It's like we are driving through life, going down the road, blindfolded. I mean, if you could see me coming down the road in my car, you blindfolded, I think you would not only pull over, I think you'd pull up a driveway and like get behind a brick wall because here comes that crazy maniac who thinks he can drive through, you know, down the road with his eyes closed or whatever. You're going to run into somebody. You're going to kill somebody. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt them and destroy everything in the process. And what, what God is showing us in this story is at our core, if we are all left to pursue our own heart, to do what we think is right, to be true to ourselves, we will end up in the gutter every single time. I know that runs countercurrent to all the popular things that are out there today. You know, believe in yourself and trust yourself and trust your heart. I just got to be true to my heart. Yeah. No, your heart is really messed up <laughs> and uh, sinful and selfish and is so destructive when it's let loose without a governor on it, without a, any kind of monitor, with any kind of guardrails or controlling. Yeah, God is saying all along as we walk through the book of Judges, guys, I've done everything I can to pull you out of this. And you just are in hell-bent on throwing me to the curb, kicking me to the curb and living life on your own. And this is what life looks like apart from me. In the process of that, culture and society breaks down. Might becomes right. You know, I realize they didn't have cell phones that they could call 911 at that point in time. But, but get the picture, all the men in the town were here. The mayor was there, the chief of police was there. Might was right. Like morals had gotten to the point where there was no justice system that was worth anything. So there's a warning to us that when a culture or a people turns its back completely on God, corruption isn't just a part of the human heart. It becomes a part of the family, becomes a part of the community, it becomes a part of the culture abroad, and the, the mob then rules, and whatever the mob so desires is what the mob gets. So this is real life apart from the redemptive work of our Lord Jesus among us. So, so that's a depressing world to be in, and I know that, and you guys have been really gracious this morning. Let me talk to you about what God wants to do to get us out of that. Uh, let me share you the heart of it first, and I'm going to tell you what God wants us to do, because God doesn't want to leave us there. He's showing us the reality. He's the doctor putting the MRI up on the screen, showing the image like, see that right there? That's the problem, and I want to fix that problem, because God does want to fix this in each of us and, and the world around us. The real issue of this is this is a heart issue. You see, people are sinners not because they sin. People sin because they're sinners. Sean, are you playing with word games? I'm really not. Hang with me. People hate because they're haters. They're not haters because they hate. What the Bible tells us is that you and I do wrong that's not what makes us sinners. We do wrong because we're already sinners inside of our heart. Spiritually, theologically, the word, what we would say is that we are sinners by nature and by choice. King David, when he had looked upon Bathsheba and lusted after her and committed adultery with her and then arranged to have her husband killed, he became a murderer and adulterer all in, in one season. When God finally confronted him with that, and he was wrestling through the realities of that, which you can read in Psalm 51, and his own brokenness, and trying to somehow have his soul rescued out of this junk, when he realized how deep of a sinner that he really was in the middle of that, he says in the middle of that that he was in sin, that his mother had conceived him. Not that he was the, the son of a, a prostitute or, or, or some sinful act between his parents. He wasn't. What he's saying was this, is that God, from my very conception, my life has been surrounded and overwhelmed by decay and sin. 
And from my very point forward, I've been born into that. And now that is born fruit in my life today. You see, you and I sin because that's who we are inside of our heart. That's what Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 6. If you look in, in Luke chapter 6, he says this little parable. He says this. He says, he says, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. How do you know what's on the inside of a tree? Jesus is saying, because you will see what's on the inside by looking at the outside, by its fruit. He goes on in verse 45, he says this, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. What Jesus is telling us is this, adulteries come out because they're already in. Hatred becomes a part of our life. Racism becomes a part of our life because of the racism that is within Arrogance comes into our, into our life because not, we're arrogant not because of some act that we do. We're arrogant because that's who we are and what we think on the inside. And because that's on the inside, it comes to the outside. Think about it this way. There was never a time in my life where I said, Sean, I think I'm going to be a liar. Yeah, that would be good. I'm going to be a liar. I, I think I'm going to be a greedy person. I think I want to be a lustful person. You know, I think I just want to be prideful. I want to be envious. None of us did that. Was there ever a day when you just sat around and said, you know, I want to do those things? No. What happened? You just started doing that stuff. In fact, there's probably not a time, if you're being really honest, where you can't remember not doing that stuff. That you were, you might even dare say, born that way. You see, the Bible tells us that we are sinners by nature and by choice. You and I have that living inside of us. That got passed forward from Adam and Eve and they sinned against the holy God. The trouble is that the culture around us wants us to think that we're not responsible for all of that stuff. In fact, there were some that say, well, God made me this way. No, God, hold, hold on, time out. Time out, Jethro. No, God made you good. God made us good, but God didn't make us sinners. Just because you can't remember ever making a choice or a decision when you first sat back and said, well, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and you just always have had that inclination to be lustful or greedy or sexually broken, or you're, you're, that doesn't mean that God made you that way. Just because you've always felt that way doesn't mean that, that that's right. It means that we're broken, that our sin is, is before a holy God in heaven. You know, one way I look at it is like our, our, even though God made us in his image, our compass doesn't quite point true north. I don't know if you know this or not, but a magnetic north on a compass doesn't point true north. It always points a little off, depending on where you are. And the difference between true north and magnetic north, they call it, is declination. So... None of us are as bad as we could possibly be, but none of us are as good as we should be. And all of us have some declination in our lives. That difference is a sin, where we are not living the way God made us and the way that God designed us to live. And because of it, we become frustrated in life. Because of it, we become depressed. Let's think about this for us sexually. If if you use a tool or an engine or some sort of device differently than the manufacturer or the designer want it to be, it's usually a problem. Let's take an easy one. So if you, if you say, you know what, I know that on my car there's a red line on the engine, that if I rev it too high, that it's bad for the engine. Well, I'm just going to ignore what the engineer said. I, what do they know? I just, I'm going to go have some fun. I'm, I'm going to go racing, you know. And I'm just going to run it right up. All three cylinders, you know, <laughs> go 75 miles an hour. Eventually, you keep running that all the way to the red line, you're going to blow your engine because you're not using it the way God designed it or the way the man designed it. Same way with us sexually. God designed us 
as man and woman and, and for that to be an expression in marriage. And when we don't use it, if I could say it that way, the way God designed it, we're going to break it. And we're going to get frustrated. And because at our core we are male and female sexual beings, we're going to wrestle with all kinds of anxieties and depressions and all kinds of stuff. And what we don't realize is, is our compass doesn't point north to what God said for us. We're sinful. We're not holy. And we're broken. And what we need is for God to intervene into our life, to, to change us, to heal us, to forgive us, and to save us. This is, so this is the fourth thing, the good news, after all of that horrible news. What God is wanting us to do is to cry out to him for help. He's showing us that there are no heroes in this story. No, no, none. No, nobody can look in their own story of their life and say, well, I'm the hero. There's only room for one hero in your story, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's room for no other heroes in your life. And what God is wanting us to do is to do a couple of things. He's wanting first for us to surrender authority of our life to him. He's wanting us to acknowledge our selfishness at its core when our selfishness always puts us at the center, what's best for us. We'll always look down at other individuals, always abuse and harm other individuals, always lead us into sexual brokenness. It, it, all of it, at the end of the day, is our individual selfishness. And the only way to solve that is to say, God, I'm going to transfer authority from my life from me to you. Because that's what selfishness it is. It's me being in charge of my life, doing what I want, the way I want it, without any thought for anybody else. And when you and I finally realize and come to grips looking at the mirror that we're a sinner before God, no matter how religious we've been in our life, no matter how much we might think we believe in God, that we are a sinner before a holy God in heaven, and we finally say, God, I want you to be in charge of my life. I can't live the way you want me to. I don't know how to. Everything in me wants to keep going this other direction. But God, I give you authority in my life. I trust that your son Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of that sin. God, would you forgive me? And would you become my Lord? Would you be in charge? Would you be my boss? That's the first point at which we begin to get pulled out of this, all this muck and this mire and all of this garbage that resides deep in our soul. After that, God says, will you trust me in every area of your life? Will you, will you trust me? Will you admit when that you have felt like you are better than others? Sean, I've never put a noose on a railing I'm not a racist. To be honest with you, we all probably are more racist than we know. We all have those same, you know, feelings of being better than somebody. If it's not skin color, it's something else. It's, you know, that we're just better. Whether it's a man toward a woman, a woman toward a man, just all of that. God says, will you turn to me and will you ask me for forgiveness of all of that? Will you change? Will you allow me to change your life? God wants to save us out of that mess. That's why God was telling them all along to set up, you know, follow me. Be my people. I don't want you to go down this awful road. Love me, and as you love me, you'll learn to love others as yourself and care for them as you should. God says to us, He says, Will you trust me to heal your broken sexuality? Will you trust me? You see, that at the core is, that lies at the core of who we are. We're more than just that. But at the, at the core, we are made in the image of God, and right in the middle of that, in Genesis 1, he made us male and, and he made us female. And we're broken in that area. And will you trust the God of heaven for what he says our life should be, lived out in that area? Will you trust him? to heal you, to change you? Will you give him that authority in your life? Or will you continue to keep authority and, and just chalk it up to past? Or just, you know, I've I'm, I'm been, always been that way, or God made me that way. 
No, will you trust him to save you and forgive you and to change you and to change those desires and to change those inclinations in your, in your heart? Will you, will you trust him to change you and not be so selfish, to be self, self-centered, for him to be in charge of your life? Will you make your life about him? And as you do, will you trust him that even as you see culture around us degrading, Guys, Christians should not be shocked about what they see in the world around them. We should not be shocked at what we see in the news. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be completely discouraged. We really, is it discouraging? Yeah. But I want us to realize that God knows how to keep his children when the culture falls apart. You see, if our culture more and more here in the U.S. becomes like this, yeah, that's disheartening. But God is bigger than all of that. If you read anything as we walk through the book of Daniel, God knows how to take care of his kids in the middle of desperate days. If you read through the book of Revelation, God knows how to take care of his kids, his children, when everything is awful. So... Don't have your chin down on the ground and woe is me and the world's falling apart. That's actually an insult to God. God says, I've got you in the middle of a messed up world. So we as Christians ought to read things like this and we ought to look at the world around us and it ought to bother us deeply. It ought to motivate us. It ought to motivate us to turn to God more. How to motivate us to see the same sins in the people around us and in the, the, what we read here. It's the same junk that lurks in our heart that God is still delivering us from. He forgave us when we trusted Jesus as Lord, but he's still changing us. And he's still teaching us to respect and care for those around us and learning how to do that well. And he's still fixing the brokenness inside of us. So we ought not be downtrodden. Instead, we ought to be hopeful. We ought to be encouraged that the Lord Jesus, who died on the cross, rose again over our sin and over our death. And that because of his great grace, we not only have to, don't have to live this way, but we overcome that and we're forgiven personally and we get to enjoy life together that follows him, that our hope and our trust and our world is bound up in him completely. So as much as I've, have, we've dived into the awfulness of humanity, I want us to rise up to the blessing and the joy of what God has given for us. So this morning, and we're going to sing a song in just a minute. In fact, our worship team, you guys can come on up here. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper, and I want the Lord's Supper to be the, the joy and the hope for us today. That this is the stuff that we've talked about today is the whole reason Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins. To save you and me. This would have been you and me had we lived in that town in that day, folks. That would have been us. Absolutely would have been us. We're not better than that. We're not smarter than that. We're not wiser than that. We're looking at, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. But because God in his tremendous grace and his sovereign hand in sending the Lord Jesus, sending him into this world to die, putting people and connections in front of you so that you could actually hear the gospel of salvation and could be saved from all of that. And even though your life is not perfect, and even though you've suffered some atrocities from other people, that the God of the universe knows you by name, and he loves you, and he forgives you, and he protects you, and he keeps you. And he does it on the basis of his son Jesus who died for us. 
So this morning, as you kind of respond and think in your heart, I don't know exactly what you should be responding to. In other words, I don't know what God has spoken into your heart, whispered into your soul. Maybe it's conviction for some things. Maybe a lack of respect or dishonoring of others or thinking that you're better than somebody else. Um, Maybe it's racism or some latent racism at heart is treating people differently based on their skin color. That's just bottom line. Maybe God has shown you some things that you need to deal with. Whatever that is, make that commitment to Him today. Respond to Him, asking forgiveness, making a commitment to to respond to others, do whatever that looks like for you. If maybe in the process you've realized the sinfulness that you've never really trusted Jesus, I challenge you, I urge you to simply turn in your heart away from your sin and ask Jesus to save you and be Lord of your life. It's the only hope you have to have a life of not only normalcy, but a blessing and joy and ultimately eternally in heaven. And at the very least, as we participate in the supper, we need to realize that was all us. You see, sometimes people trust Christ when they're little kids, and they never quite have spiraled down into the decay that they could have. And God is just gracious in their soul, and they've avoided a lot of junk. And if that's you, I want you to realize if it weren't for Jesus, that story would be you. Some of you have lived, you trusted Christ when you're older, and you're like, yeah, that story is a lot closer to home. I don't have any trouble realizing that that's me and my family. So you be thankful for what God's done in your life. But if you've never gone down that road and you've, you know, this, your family that God has just put you in has just been blessed and not lived that way, you need to realize that's not because they're wonderful people. That's because God's a wonderful God. Because... <laughs> He's shown us this morning that we, apart from him, are absolutely atrocious to the world around us and in his eyes. So this morning, let's be thankful as we celebrate the Lord's table and his grace and his goodness that he's shown us through Jesus. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.